Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good Friday morning to you. Thanks for tuning in to Kevin and Query on this Sounds like, unfortunately, a bit of a rainy Friday. Not raining right now, but it does seem like some rain is in the forecast um, on this Friday morning. Obviously, a lot of news. West Lafayette, Louisville-related yesterday. Jeff Brom, that announcement in his introductory press conference. And then Mike Babinski, the Purdue Athletic Director. A little bit of a State of the Union for where Purdue is at right now in this head coaching search. Again, Brian Brom will be the interim uh, Babitsky confirmed yesterday that three assistants have already left for Louisville. Ron English, their co-defensive coordinator. I think the other two are the running backs coach and the wideouts coach. Certainly, you would expect a few more to head down there. Uh, Mark, if you want to queue up that kind of the candidate pool clip from Mike Babinski yesterday. Again, it's a much different, I think, hiring process for him this time around than it was when Jeff Brom was hired after Daryl Hazel back in I guess it would have been six years ago. Here is Babinski yesterday on uh, the pool candidates. You know, I think the criteria is similar. I, I think perhaps the, uh, the the candidate pool may be different this time around. You know, I think we'll, we'll be able to attract uh, the interest of, of folks that maybe are, uh, you know, across the board, a, a deeper and, and, and higher quality pool than perhaps we were able to get in 2016. We had really good people in there, and we hired a really good coach. Uh, but I think we may have more of that to be able to select from this time around, and that's that's a result of where, where we've come. Jake, how much of that is what he just said right there, a result of where Purdue is at, and credit to Jeff Brom for getting them there? And how much of that is how the Big Ten is now viewed in the college football world? Yeah, that latter part is really important, Kevin, to take nothing away because I do think that 70% of that is the fact that this is a different Purdue job than it sure. was in credit to Jeff Brom there. But you are correct. Listen, the, the landscape of college football, um, this is not, folks, your dad's college football era, you know, or, or or mine for that matter. I had a long talk last night with a, a buddy of mine. Hell, just your older siblings. Just about, yeah. Football. I mean, it, it is constantly changing. And the Big Ten... What's fascinating about the Big Ten, Kevin, is if you go back historically, you know, the Big Ten became the forefront conference, the, the foremost conference, because of having the vision initially of the Big Ten network. I mean, that changed everything. They were the first ones to do it. They got on more cable networks than anybody else, and the money started rolling in. And all of a sudden, the Big Ten, sure, the SEC probably had teams that were more, that were going to, to, college football championship games more often, whatever you want to say. But but the Big Ten had more financial balance because of the Big Ten network. And they've kind of always been ahead of the curve and where things are going. And that includes the, the merger into these super conferences, if you will. Bringing in UCLA and USC. Then, as we talked about with Jeff Smolian, I do think eventually there is the possibility, let's say that for now, of Notre Dame and Stanford, and then perhaps Washington and Oregon joining, and that rounding you out to where you have a super conference, and they're the first big super conference. And I think, and from a money standpoint, that's the television revenue and everything else that's going to come with that. 
is going to be massive. And I do think that coaches know that and are aware of the fact that eventually there are going to be two 20-team conferences, and you want to be in one of those two. And Purdue is and will be. And that's a, a huge thing to be able to sell. The other is the fact that you are walking into a program now that is coming off of a Big Ten championship game appearance, national television, um, you know, has has a little more sexiness than it did a handful of years ago. Now, among those in that pool, like I said, I, I was told yesterday that I don't know that anybody knows this, but but people that I think are in the know that Jim Leonard, the coordinator, defensive coordinator for Wisconsin, who served as their interim, went four and three with the Badgers and will not be retained by Luke Fickle's staff. I don't know whether that was Fickle's decision or his. I don't know. Um, but that there is interest in him. I also think that Tyson Helton out of Western Kentucky, which is kind of Jeff Brom light. Yeah, very cookie cutter hire to Brom. Correct. That, that, that he is also one... Um, that will be little brother of Clay Helton, if they remember the USC head coach from a few years ago. And then the other one that I had not heard this, but but you know apparently it's it's a name that has been thrown around, and, and I guess it makes sense because another guy, I believe, with Midwestern ties, I could be wrong in that. Uh, Todd Monken, who is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Georgia, I think is who's got some Midwest ties, right? That's what I mean. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the question becomes, Kevin, do you want to take, do you go out and get a guy who it's going to be his first head coaching job, or do you get somebody who is an established head coach that knows the the any more? You know, in college football now. I feel like you almost need a guy that is a CEO type. And by that, I mean can can delegate responsibilities to multiple areas and multiple people. Because now not only do you have like a recruiting coordinator, you almost need a second recruiting coordinator just for the portal. And I know that sounds crazy. But you need somebody who not only is recruiting high school athletes and is out on the road doing that. multiple portal people. Right. You need someone that that is able to scout other teams all the time to find out who's available via the transfer portal. You somebody that is working with your own players to prohibit them from going into the transfer portal. I mean, it, somebody to oversee probably your NIL stuff and have a grasp on that. I mean, this is the wild wild west, man. And there are a lot of so I, I do think that Purdue is probably in an advantageous situation. Because they're going to be able to, as literally the college football landscape looks different today than it did one year ago, Purdue now, as this thing changes, are going to be able to update or refresh. I'm not saying Jeff Brom wasn't a guy that that had his handle on that kind of stuff, but they're going to be able to go out and now hire a guy and be able to say, these are the new concerns that a coach has. And they're able to reset, whereas other programs may have, Clemson comes to mind, for example. Dabo Sweeney's a heck of a football coach, but in terms of the transfer portal and NIL and things like that, I think he's a little behind the times, quite frankly, and I think you've seen it. Yeah, I would love to see Purdue give Dave Clawson a call at Wake Forest. I think that's a really similar program within the ACC that is a great offensive football team that would certainly kind of maintain the entertainment value that Purdue has provided their fan base. Uh, you know, the, the concern over a Leonard, the concern over Helton, and maybe this is wishful thinking, 
But do those guys just view this job as just a stepping stone? You know, are they the young coaches that look at it and think, okay, I'm right here right now, like in Helton's case, okay, I'm here in the wherever Western Kentucky is, Conference USA, I, I don't even know what their affiliation is right now. And now it's, let's go to a mid-level Big Ten team, and then let's have success there, and then let's go even higher right, right. on the ladder. And I don't know, maybe everybody views Purdue like that. Um, I, I tend to think, can you find a little bit more of an established head coach, a little bit on the older side, but maybe they look at Purdue as, hey, I you know, I, I just... I want to coach in the Big Ten, and I feel like Purdue's on pretty solid ground, and I feel like I can go there and have a Wisconsin-type nine-win yeah. sort of annual basis and do that for eight to ten years. I, Again, the guy that I love is... Probably wishful thinking, but... To your point about Wake Forest... That's I've, what I would I've for. actually seen Wake Forest play... I've seen them play Clemson in, in Clemson... They're highly entertaining. times. They're not only that, but the thing that I, res- that I really respect about Wake Forest... Um, and Tony, my buddy, and I, when we're in the stands watching the games, have said this to each other several times. They play above their weight. You know what I mean? Like they, I don't know that they're necessarily going out and getting top flight recruiting talent all the time, but they are really well coached. Yeah. I mean, they 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 kind of force you into mistakes. I like the way Wake Forest plays. The other guy that I really like out of that same conference that I've mentioned before is Dave Doran at North Carolina State. Because I think he's kind of off the radar, built something really good in North Carolina State, averaging about nine wins a year the last handful of years, going to a bowl game every year. Um, and that I, I look at NC State as, as a Purdue level in terms of facilities and everything else. I have no idea what he's making at NC State, but he I, he's another guy that has Midwestern ties. He did good things at Northern Illinois. Yeah, I, I like him. As does Clawson. And again, he's a guy that I would make say no um, to us before kind of moving on. Do you find this odd at all that since 2015, Jake, we've had four coaches win a national title? Obviously, your guy, Dabo. Obviously, Nick Saban. We had Kirby Smart win one right here in Indy last year. The fourth guy on that list, its name does not get rumored at all for any of this stuff. Now say the 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 category again. National championship head coach. Mm-hmm. Since 2015, we've had four of them. Dabo okay. and Saban. Yep. Kirby. Yep. But the guy with the funny voice, Ed O'Ron, doesn't get mentioned at all. Now, why, where, why is that? Like, in all seriousness, and I get that, you know, maybe his style doesn't fit out of Purdue, but why doesn't he get rumored for any of it? Like, why wasn't he a name for Auburn? It's a really good question. I think that there are two things that come into play. I think he's very well liked, right, as a guy. But just do people think he's like a circus act? Yes, I think that... Cartoon character? I think that Ed Orgeron's... This is totally unfair, (laughs) but I think that his voice and his physical stature kind of make him a caricature. Where he's taken, like, I think that a lot of people see him as just kind of a... But isn't that, like, so fourth grade of us? It is, but I also, now I did hear this, I have no idea if there's a factor. But I know that there were, like, he was apparently a guy, not in a bad way. I mean, I think he's a very likable guy. But towards the end there, when he was at LSU, I think there were some, you know, photos that surfaced of he and his wife in bed together and, like, after a night of partying and it just kind of stuff that you're like, I don't know, is this who I want leading, wow. like, Sounds a like a pre- 
prereq for an SEC job, to be honest with you. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Um, I, again, nothing like overly egregious, but just kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. Like this, this dude looks like maybe like Bourbon Street is kind of his style. You know, I mean, I, again, I, I want to be clear that what I'm saying here, I'm not accusing him of any wrongdoing at all, but just kind of just a fun loving dude. Right. And. I don't know. I do think that for whatever reason, he has seen... It's just odd to me, Jake. Like, I, 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 Here's the other thing, Kevin. <laughs> to your point, when, when you are a head coach of a team that wins the national championship in arguably like the most dominant two-month run in college football of the last 20 years, I mean, they didn't just win the national championship. They blew people off the field. They were unstoppable. And he was the head coach of it, and yet he was out of a job within three years of that. Doesn't that raise a red flag somewhere of like, well, what happened there? Yeah, I, yeah, a, a bit. I mean, LSU does seem to have a, tr- a bit of a churn and burn down there. Um, but I, I, I don't know. It just seems a bit odd to me that you see some of these coaching resumes and the guy that won a national title less than three years ago, and players seem to adore him. When you were in co- when you were in high school, name. when you were in high school and you applied to colleges, you obviously applied to Indiana because you ended up in Indiana. How many schools did you apply to? I think five: Missouri, Ball State, Butler, Notre Dame, Indiana. What was your safety school? Um, God, I wish. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I had any like fallback fallback, but you know they tell you when that you're in high school. Yeah. There's a, you know, apply to one school that you're sure you will get in, so that if you don't get into the others, like you you would be okay going to that school. Yeah. You'd be okay with it. Um, yeah, probably. Again, this sounds like a slap in the face at the two schools, but probably like a Butler or Ball State. I was fortunate to get into the other four besides, of course. I feel like Kevin Sumlin has produced safety school. Yeah. I feel like for his name to get traction, Jake, that would have to be very Drew Brees related, very ex-player related. Well, he's a guy that has extensive coaching background at big-time schools that has had some success, and he's a Purdue guy with roots. So you kind of feel like if you go out and if, oh my gosh, everything else is like, people have turned us down, you know, Kalen DeBoer at Washington didn't want to come here, or Dave Doran, or Leonard, or Helton, or whoever it may be. We got Kevin Sumlin, so, you know, and, and he would be a fine hire. He would be a perfectly good hire, but I don't know that he is the first choice, first wave hire. Yeah, but a good coach. Very interested to see. From a resource standpoint, Purdue is paying Jeff Brown pretty healthy. Um, bless you. So Thank you. I, I don't think that will be an issue on that front. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kind of the reality of the Colts season right now is you're watching the game last night and AFC teams involved and you're not even thinking about, um, if they lose, I wonder how that impacts playoff standing. It's more of, hmm, I wonder if one of these teams loses, how it impacts the Colts draft standing. Uh, That's where we're at right now. Colts ninth in the draft order coming up 
in April and to find out more about that 2023 draft class and the early look at it. Matt Miller does an outstanding job. You've heard him on our airways before from ESPN.com. Draft analyst is with us now. Matt, good morning, man. Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. Matt, I, I, I want to start here. What's your favorite part of the draft process? Oh, wow. Um, I, I, I think it's probably still that first night of the draft, that Thursday night, because we have, you know, a year of evaluating players and talking about what teams need and where teams are going to go. And to see it play out is, it's like Christmas morning. You know, there's, I don't think there's any better analogy for it. So that part's great. I also, I, I heard you talking, I love this part of the season where fans and a radio host of teams realize, hey, we are screwed. We are not good. Yeah. <laughs> Hand is raised that. right here in Indy, man. Hand is raised. Yeah. Uh-huh. When I was, at, I was at Bleacher Report for like a decade, and it was always like we would have meetings, and it would be hilarious because it would be like, Hey, it's Thanksgiving. Jets fans care about the draft now. It's time to like it's time to dial it up. Let's start doing mock drafts and big boards because you have you have fan bases that realize around Thanksgiving that they're out of it. And unfortunately for for Colts fans, that you guys fall into that bucket this year. It, it would be funny to watch like a map of your clicks and see the NFL markets where the clicks just start to rise in those markets as the losses continue to rise because I have a feeling like you said Indy (laughs) would be in that boat Um, just brief thoughts on the 2023 class obviously we we, want to focus on the quarterback group here with you Mm -hmm. but uh, just your overall thoughts and what you've seen so far in this group for 2023 yeah you know we're we're still figuring out who's going to be in who's going to be out Uh, name image likeness has changed that a lot where it's feasible for players to go back to school and not have the financial pressure to enter the draft. So we have about a month and 10 days to figure out who's actually in, but I like this draft class. I think it's an improvement from last year where it was kind of hard to get excited about last year's draft when you had like an unknown, basically going number one overall, you had no quarterbacks. It it was not a sellable draft year last year. I think this year is much better with a good group of quarterbacks you know, dynamic outside players like Will Anderson, Jalen Carter on the defensive line. It's it's a much better year top to bottom. And I think um, it's not the greatest draft class I've ever evaluated, but it's, it's certainly far from the worst. So if you were, for example, Matt, the Indianapolis Colts, and you go into this draft and you say, look, we've got to get ourselves a quarterback that seemingly is a franchise quarterback, okay? you would say to them, well, then you better be drafting no lower or higher, whichever way you want to look at it, than where. In other words, the total number of quarterbacks that will go off the board that you can build around before you start getting the guys that are projects would be how many? Uh, I think you need to be in the top five picks. um, And the reason I say top five, uh, the way the draft order is right now, Houston's going to take a quarterback at number one. Um, I, I would be shocked if they don't. Chicago is not. They have a guy in Justin Fields. They're at number two right now. It seems like, you read the tea leaves, it seems like Seattle is going to try to keep Geno Smith and, and at least not draft a quarterback in the top in the top five. So you're probably okay there. You don't have to worry about Philadelphia drafting a quarterback. But, you know, Detroit is in the mix. Carolina is 1,000% in the mix. Um, I wouldn't be shocked. You know, we saw the Raiders lose last night. No one knows what they're going to do long-term. 
we could see a, a lot of turnover in Arizona that could I know Kyler signed an extension, but we've seen that team give up on, on quarterbacks before. So you you at least have to worry about them. So I think top five is safe because there are really three quarterbacks this year that are are, are considered top ten picks, and that's Bryce Young at Alabama, CJ Stroud at Ohio State, and Will Levis from Kentucky. After that, there's a drop off to a project like Anthony Richardson from Florida, who could be the next Josh Allen, the next Cam Newton, or he could be, you know, out of the league in two years. Um, Hinden Hooker tears an ACL late in the season and is will be 25 years old draft weekend. So a player like that is more of a question mark than you would like to be, even though he played really well the last two years. So what looked like a strong quarterback class really got weeded out this year by injury by players not taking the next step you know like Tyler Van Dyke at Miami uh, didn't ascend the way we thought he would it uh, sounds like he's going back to Miami now so um, th- this class kind of got watered down a little bit what about Spencer Rattler at South Carolina I, and I have no idea I mean you feel free to laugh at me here I just I've only seen him play you know basically in a couple of games and I thought man this guy looks dynamite but are there are there concerns with him is it size is it off field I have no idea I think it's definitely size uh, is the biggest one. And I think, you know, a, a person could say, well, Bryce Young is small, but they just play so differently um, that you don't worry about it as much with Bryce because he's a pocket passer. I think with Spencer Rattler, you know, there's the, I've never, I've never interviewed him. I've never met him. Uh, so this is not my opinion, but you definitely do hear that he's kind of prickly. You know, he can be a little bit uh, hard to interact with. Um, I would say he's a player. If I believe he has another year of eligibility, if, if his family were asking for my opinion, I would tell him to go back to school because he, he ended the season on a really good note. South Carolina started to heat up there at the end. Um, I would say more of that is what he needs before thinking about the NFL. Is it unfair? Matt Miller, by the way, is our guest, ESPN draft analyst. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. Matt, this is probably going to prove why I am a radio host and you are a draft analyst, okay? In, in my mind, there are sometimes... I have tendencies to look at a player based on his position and his school and then categorize in my mind previous players of same position and same school and become hesitant about the player because I'm like, I don't know, like USC quarterback would be a prime example. I realize Williams is not eligible this year. But, you know, the, the the whole notion in your mind of like a USC quarterback's never won a Super Bowl, da, 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 da. is it dangerous to do that or is there actually something that can be learned by it? Uh, both. <laughs> I know that's not the answer you want, but both. I think you have to be aware of scheme and say, okay, guys coming out of this scheme haven't naturally, uh, you know, played well early on or here's some things they have to overcome. I think mean, you can look at quarterbacks coming out of Lincoln Riley's system and say, okay, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, um, even Jalen Hurts to a degree, what what have we had to fix? Where are their deficiencies? You know, you can look at guys coming out of Ryan Day's system, you know, Justin Fields, C.J. Stroud. You know, they, they might not play well outside of the framework of that offense, so you gotta you got to teach them that. Justin Fields is obviously doing just fine with it. So I don't look at it so much as, like, historically USC's never had a quarterback win the Super Bowl because there's too many variables there. They've had too many head coaches, too many different types of quarterbacks, um, and it only takes one, right? So I, I don't go that deep with it, but I do think you have to look at scheme and say, okay, if it's been the same head coach at that school, what are some of the issues that his players have? Or like, you know, right now, if I needed a wide receiver, 
you can guarantee I'm drafting one from Ohio State because they're doing pretty well. Brian Hartline knows what he's doing, right? It's like I'm getting one of those guys if I need a receiver. So it can work both ways for you. Again, Matt Miller, ESPN.com. It's at NFL Draft Scout. Does an outstanding job there uh, on their draft coverage, and he's with us on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Matt, if you look at it right now, Colts ninth in the draft order. Let's focus on those SEC quarterbacks, kind of non-Bryce Young um, here. Do you feel like those guys, Will Levis, Kentucky, Hendon Hooker, Tennessee, Anthony Richardson, Florida, do you view them in similar tiers? Do you view separation within those three? I believe you said earlier, you know, you feel like Levis could be a guy that could go top 10, so maybe he's kind of at the top end yeah. of that of that trio. How do you look at those three? Yeah, I think Levis is at the top end just because of the body of work. Um, it, he's, you know, everything you kind of want prototypically, size, arm strength, athleticism, toughness. The problem is he just makes some bad decisions with the football. So I think trying to figure out is he Matthew Stafford or is he Carson Wentz? And, and you really don't know until you get him around better players than what he had at Kentucky and give him some continuity um, in terms of offensive coordinator and scheme. That's going to help. Anthony Richardson it's a similar debate, but I think a bigger swing of who he could be because, gosh, there are times you watch him play and you think, this is the future of the NFL. You know, he's huge. He has a great arm. He is a runner. He can go over you, around you. And you're, you're like, this is it. This is it. This is what we need. But then the next throw, I mean, he's missing a guy by like 15 yards, and you're like, what the hell just happened here? So um, I was surprised he decided to declare for the draft and not go back and get a little bit more work at Florida. But I'm sure, you know, he's thinking an NFL coach is going to be able to help me develop more than a college coach. Totally understand that. So he's a project. I don't think he's a player you can put on the field year one. Uh, And then we go to Hendon Hooker, who – I love watching Hendon Hooker play. I mean, he throws a beautiful deep ball. He has great timing. Uh, he sees the field well. The only problem is, you know, he, like I said, he's 24 years old right now. Then he tore his ACL late in the season. So you almost have to, you know, look at his rookie season as a redshirt year. So then he's 26 before he's getting on the field. I think you worry about that a little bit. Not as much as quarterback as at other positions, but there's definitely that factor of, are you this good because you are, you know, physically, mentally more mature than the guys you're playing against, or are you this good just because you're this good? I, I don't, Matt. I don't think there's like a big section of the Colts fan base that is in this boat, but there's certainly some that are. Hey, if the right quarterback's not there, pass on him. You know, there's a two generational type QBs, or at least that's what people think coming out next year. You know, don't necessarily you know, take a quarterback just to take a quarterback. Uh, having said that. Who would you slot of like top ten locks right now, non quarterback division? Seems like Will Anderson from Alabama is a really popular name. Obviously, we see some offensive tackles that typically go yeah. there as well. Uh, who would you slot in that group? Like these are going to be top ten picks, but they don't play quarterback. Yeah, Will Anderson definitely. You know, outside linebacker from Alabama, Jalen Carter, the D tackle from Georgia. They could be the first two picks. They really could be. They're that talented. I think after that, you look at Miles Murphy from Clemson. Defensive end is probably in there. You mentioned offensive tackles. Paris Johnson from Ohio State, if he declares for the draft, and Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern, who has declared for the draft. They are both top 10 caliber. Now, I don't think they are you know, at the level of the guys we saw last year. You know, Evan Neal, Iki Aquanu, Charles Cross, who were really good players and, and have played very well uh, in their rookie seasons, especially Charles Cross. But I, I do think they're 
they're worthy of being top 10 picks. And so for Colts fans, I, I can't imagine uh, the, the outrage that would happen if Chris Ballard passes on a quarterback again. But left tackle is a pretty big need as well. So if, if it is a situation where the top three are off the board by pick nine or maybe Ballard doesn't like all three quarterbacks, going with one of the offensive tackles I, I think is the next best move that you could make. You know, one of the fascinating things, Matt Miller is our guest, the ESPN draft analyst. Chicago's sitting there, I believe they're at number two right now, right? Yeah. Um, clearly, they are a team that doesn't need a young quarterback. Looks like they've got a promising one with the Bears. Do they shop that pick? And if so, how valuable is it? I think they will shop it. Um, you have to. When you're that that roster is just not good. And, and I think we've seen that this year where they're in games and then they just can't stick with teams. So I think you know, Ryan Poles, this will be his second draft as GM up there. He has to at least take calls because he, like you said, he doesn't need the quarterback. And if you can set yourself up with future first round picks, you, I think it's smart to do it, especially if you're only sliding back a couple of spots. You might not want to go from two to nine. So Colts fans, you need to keep losing so you can get closer to that. But I definitely think that's something he'll have to entertain because the Bears specifically, yes, they could draft Will Anderson. Yes, they could draft Jalen Carter. But their needs are, you know, they need another wide receiver. There's not one you're going to take in the top five. They could be in the left tackle conversation. There's probably not one you're taking in the top five. You could you could get one uh, later, uh, you know, in the top ten. So I, I think they are the most logical if you're talking about teams that could trade back. Um, Seattle it will probably be up there as well with the Broncos pick. Uh, they Again, if they keep Geno Smith around, they're not in the market for a quarterback, and they could be a team that moves back a little bit. So there's Philadelphia as well with the Saints pick. They definitely don't need a quarterback. They really don't need anything. Um, and they could be a team that says, hey, we're going to need these draft picks once we have to extend Jalen Hurts and, and figure out some of these other things. We'd rather have more draft picks later. I think this is a year where – at least right now, the teams at the top five could be open to trading back. Matt, last one for me. And again, Matt Miller, ESPN draft analyst. It's at NFL Draft Scout on Twitter. A great, great follow. He's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Huge Notre Dame fan. I thought Michael Mayer got snubbed last night, not winning the Mackey Award. Um, your thoughts on Michael Mayer going in round one, and I guess maybe how high in round one come April? We've been calling him Baby Gronk for three years, so I, I love him. I mean, he. Uh, is a, I think a unique player at the position because as the tight end, you know, group has moved away from inline physical players, here comes Michael Mayer, who's six four two sixty five, can block his tail off, is a great receiver, very productive. I mean, he's he is him or Bijan Robinson are the safest players in the draft. I mean, he's he's that talented. So I don't think he'll go top five he could go top 10 tj hawkinson went top 10 a couple years ago um we're probably looking at top 15 though just because the way that position has unfortunately been devalued okay then my last question would be to keep it in state uh give me the top you know player or two that are of interest if any to come out of in the first couple of rounds purdue or indiana uh, I think well, Aiden O'Connell is probably the the biggest one from from Purdue. Um, I know that you know he's kind of had a an up and down career there, but I, I've always liked the way he plays. I do think that you know he'll be an NFL quarterback for a really long time. Um, maybe not a starter necessarily, but you know he'll be in the league for ten years as a high end backup and a spot starter. So he is uh, he's the top rated guy I have from Purdue or Indiana this year. So I, I think most eyes will probably be on him coming out of that region. Uh, Charlie Jones, 
I love Charlie Jones. He, he could he could probably go higher. I'm very excited to see him at the Senior Bowl. I mean, you transfer from Iowa where they never throw the football, and you end up at Purdue where they're just throwing it to you nonstop. Uh, I absolutely love the way he plays. Um, that's probably if I had to pick a guy from you know that that area and say this is my dude, uh, I would pick Charlie Jones. Yeah, and just a breaking news: there's no NFL talent on Indiana's football Indiana football <laughs> roster. I, Not this year. <laughs> yeah, I watched that team play this year. I can I can share that with you, Matt. As always, man, great stuff. Um, enjoy the weekend. I know we're inching closer uh, to draft season, so hopefully we can have you on a few more times before April. Sounds great, guys. Thank you for having me. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Every time I hear this song, I think about the summer of 94 when I was an intern at MTV Networks in New York and they played this song literally every seven minutes. Picturing Jeremiah Johnson at the Peru prom. <laughs> uh, here's here's what we know about Jeremiah Johnson at the Purdue prom. Peru, was, Peru. What'd I say? Purdue. Oh, so, per, sorry, Peru. Obviously, the Peru Tigers. Purdue prom. Be Peru prom. prom. I know Jeremiah's a Ball State guy. Uh, if, if, he, if a button popped on his tuxedo no worries he's got several standby producers that are willing to sew it back on for him i do know that much. even in high school he had that oh of course he's been big time for a long time he joins us now as a matter of fact and i'm sure thrilled to be doing so on the payless liquors hotline uh jeremiah welcome back man long trip for you and i'm sure you're happy to be home pacers and whiz tonight at the field house I am happy to be home, and much like uh, the prom references, that song actually brings me back to Peru, but not to the prom. We used to play that while playing three-on-three half-court basketball on a on an eight-foot goal all summer long in 94. Nice. So it, it, you had the year correct, and uh, just not the correct activity. Eight-foot goal. <laughs> suddenly, <laughs> suddenly everybody thinks that they're Michael Jordan, right? Exactly, yeah. It could not be better. I don't know that it got you better at basketball, but it was fun. Um, let's begin with this. It, Kevin said this, and I want your reaction to it. Um, that The seven-game road trip, what, two and five, I think, total. Is that right? That's on the correct. On the trip. Disappointing. I was a little disappointed, Water finding JJ. its level. How do you assess it? You know, when you went into the trip with a four, up four in the, uh, you know, 500 record, I think it was 12 and eight, uh, or actually 11 and seven. So you'd like to have at least gone three and four, but there were a couple of really memorable moments. You know, you could be a little bit disappointed in the record. And then also of some of those losses, the, the Minnesota game was close, but the other four were not as much. Clippers, you were never really in that game. Uh, Kings, Jazz, Blazers; those were those were not as close either. So you'd like to be a little more competitive. Uh, but you know, when we started the season, I don't know that we were necessarily evaluating this team in terms of wins and losses. And then when you jump out to such a fast start, maybe your perspective changes a little bit. So I do think for someone like Kevin that's counting the wins, maybe two and five is not what you wanted. But whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> well, what? Hey, yeah, yeah, you are right. Yeah. <laughs> to, to be totally fair, JJ, I would like to think I could separate the financial stake that I might have versus the actual 
product on the floor. And, and my issue was more of like two and five was fine. I felt like in the five losses, though, they got run off the floor in the vast majority of the quarters that they played. And I think those are like some strides you want to see of at the end of the year. We're not really counting wins and losses, although I am. I'm more concerned about like what do you look like within those wins and losses and losing by 15 to 20 points I thought was out of character and a bit disappointing. And what's disappointing I think is repeatedly falling behind early in games and you can do that maybe at home or against teams like the Rockets or the Pistons but you can't do it on the road against Western Conference teams that are in the playoff picture and that's what I think they learned on that road trip because Sacramento and Utah and Portland, maybe at least for two of those teams, you didn't expect to be up there, but they're playing really well. And, and I've said this a number of times, those three teams specifically have you know three of the best home court atmospheres in the NBA. And so if you constantly play teams like that, and then you're on the road, and then you're down 15 to 20 points, 23 points to Minnesota, and you're able to come back in that game. Now, that's not the same environment as the other three that I mentioned, but you're just asking for trouble. And the Golden State game was what Rick Carlisle had been mentioning, that you you don't always want to play from behind. And they were playing from ahead for much of that game. And that's what made that one uh, different, special, and then it set up for you know quite a fourth quarter as well. So the starts are really what I'm watching, and not necessarily to be leading at the end of, the, of every first quarter, but you don't always want to be down double digits. And so they've got to figure that out a little bit. They've had some different starting lineups, some of that due to – most of that due to injuries. And so we'll see if they can figure that out. But I do think 25 games in, you've got to figure out a way to start games better and not constantly being forced to come from behind. Jeremiah Jeremiah Johnson, by the way, from Valley Sports and the Pacers television broadcast joins us on the Payless Sugars Hotline. We've talked, and I've mentioned a lot, uh, the quote-unquote rookie wall that, that rookies hit from time. Sometimes it's not a permanent wall, but they, they go through ups and downs over the course of the season. You've been around a lot more NBA than have I, so I want to ask you this. I guess kind of a three-part, all-encompassing question for our listeners. Do you believe in the rookie wall, or you know, have you have you witnessed it in your time? And if so, can you kind of just explain what happens with rookies in terms of the ups and downs of their play, and what point in the season does it usually start to really have an effect? You know, even from a broadcaster perspective, the first few years – that I was traveling with the team, I would hit a little bit of a wall. And I think that you feel that in, in January, maybe the last week or two of January, because you're still not that close to the all-star break and you still, you feel like you've played a whole season and it's only halfway through the season. So I think it's a little early right now to say that anyone is hitting the rookie wall. And I do think some of it could be sort of personality based uh, if you're speaking about Benedict Matherin you know, he's played every single game I think maybe if he's up and down a little bit it's more due to the emphasis that teams are you know using against him and then using the film that he's put out there to try to take away what he does well so he's, he's been a little up and down on the road trip and maybe over the last couple of weeks but I think it's a little early now you'll also feel a little bit of that if you're not used to the, the seven game road trips, which no one really is, or, you know, the five games in seven nights, those are some things that you don't experience in college. And the thing that I, you know, I brought this up with, with Pat Boylan on our podcast this week, the Pacers are in a stretch where for three weeks, they're going to have one actual day of practice. And that was actually in Utah. And it wasn't even a real intense practice. Tyree Taliburton 
was not available. So that changes things quite a bit anyways. And, and those are things that rookies, you know, it's unfathomable to them. You think about high school and college basketball, how much time is spent on the practice court to not have a real practice and just play game, game, day off, game, game, travel to another city, play another game. I think that's where you really feel it. So it's not just about fatigue. There are a lot of different layers to the quote-unquote rookie wall, but it's the rookie NBA experience, and it's something that everybody has to get used to. Now, Jeremiah, do you think in Benedict Matherin's case, do you notice, you know, now that, and obviously he got out to a tremendous start, and it's still a really, I mean, you know, he's obviously going to be a great player. But are people guarding him a little bit differently now that there obviously is plenty of body of work to be seen on film of him at the NBA level? Is he starting to see different looks in terms of how he's guarded? I think he is. And the one thing I think he'll need to do is try to, you know, add some aspects to his game that, you know, in college it can be so easy for someone. Just get the ball, you know, go to the basket. He's elite at attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line, using his strength to his advantage. You have to be a little more well-rounded. One of the things that, you know, I, as soon as I saw it, I thought about it, and Quinn Buckner pointed it out, not just during the game, but on the post-game show, was there was a play he drove to the basket and then I think dropped a, a bounce pass to one of the bigs, and we hadn't seen that aspect of his game as much in the first, you know, month and month and a half of the season. And so instead of just, you know, getting it on the wing, seeing he has a mismatch or he has a, a good situation to take it to the basket – maybe a little more playmaking so teams teams know what he likes to do and they're trying to take that away and they're make and they're also putting maybe their better defenders on him i asked a couple of coaches about benedict matherin in the last couple of weeks and and they've said we'll make note when he comes into the game we have to know who's guarding him well i don't think that happened in late october and the first week of november and now they're basically saying this is one guy we have to make sure that we have the right personnel on the court when he comes into the game. And he started one game on that road trip. I think he'll continue to as long as those guys are healthy come off the bench. And I think that's a good role for him. But it's not like he's always going to attack second-unit defenders. Teams are going to put their better defenders on the court when he's there. So um, those are some things I think he's going to have to get used to. But the adjustment and the you know film is out on Benedict Mather and He'll, he'll continue to deal with that as he gets you know farther along in his NBA career. Finally, back at home after two weeks on the road, Jeremiah Johnson, Valley Sports tonight. You'll see the Pacers and the Wizards, 7 o'clock tip, Indiana slight favorite in that one. JJ, given the current kind of makeup of this roster, what do you think is the ideal role for Andrew Nemhard? Credit to him. He's been thrown into a whole lot of different roles and has, I thought, played them very, very well. But I think in an ideal world, what would Rick Carlisle like? And I guess how would they utilize him? Well, we've seen early in his career that Rick Carlisle trusts him to be on the floor at the end of games. He also needs Benedict Mather on the floor at times due to his explosiveness and his ability to score. So uh, he trusts him to start games. He trusts him to finish games. One thing that you know I've got to caution myself or get away from is necessarily saying, who's the point guard and who's the two guard. I think he can be a part of a three to four man guard rotation. And whether that's the point off the ball, maybe you've got a three guard lineup. He's in the mix. Your your leader and your true point guard is Tyrese Halliburton. But I almost say if he's one, a, then you've got one B moving forward taken care of, and you don't have to worry about for the next few years. And and granted, he's not going to play every game. Like what we saw at golden state, uh, was off a little bit against Minnesota, but he's still as solid 
he is a guy that can get into the paint and make plays. He can lock down and, and guard some of the best you know scorers in the NBA. So for what we've seen for a second-round draft pick in his first year, just say he's part of your three, four-man guard rotation for the next five, six years. I, I think you've got something right there. Now, maybe that's just a little bit too high expectations right now, but with what we saw against Golden State when he was the best player on the court, I don't think it's too much to say. Now, Jeremiah, I'm looking at it here. In the last, like, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it is, you've been in Los Angeles, right? You were in Sacramento. You were in Salt Lake City. You were in Portland. You were in the Bay Area, which I think that arena is now in Oakland, right? Or are they in San Francisco? No, it is in San Francisco. Okay, so so San Francisco. And then Minneapolis. Um, Mm -hmm. If you had to, having nothing to do with the job itself and the team that you'd be covering, etc., if you just had to retire and you had to pick one of those six cities to live which one are you going with (laughs) that's tough uh i would think if i'm in retirement age weather is a factor correct i mean absolutely as pretty as salt lake city is i don't know that i'd want to retire there because it does get cold although it wasn't as cold when we were there so probably i would just say maybe san francisco just a little different los angeles isn't necessarily my my cup of tea for a place that i'd like to live so i guess maybe i'd say san francisco just for more how much are they paying you (laughs) well i don't personally i'm not sure that i'm ever actually going to retire but if if given the opportunity as jake posed the question sure i'll I'll go to san francisco San Francisco's beautiful, man. I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? Um, oh, yeah. And where would you go the least? Or where would you least, Ooh, least I, likely I know to go? that one. <laughs> okay, Sacramento would seem like the easy answer. Minnesota, though, is just too cold. Yep. And I will say that Sacramento has improved on my, my ranking list over the years. It used to be maybe bottom five, and they've got a new downtown arena, which wasn't part of the question as, as Jake posed it, but they've got some development around that arena. And I did feel better about, you know, outside of the game itself, the trip to Sacramento I enjoyed maybe a little bit more than I have other trips to Sacramento. So it's moved up the list. Uh, Minneapolis, uh, nothing against it. I know Mark Boyle has his roots there. It's probably uh, it's the one that I would Look, want to Look, Sacramento, here's the thing about Sacramento. It's basically the size of Indy, and it kind of looks like Indy in, in, in its suburbs. But literally, you get in your car, and I know traffic's an issue, but you get in your car, and you hook a left, and two hours later, you're in Lake Tahoe, and you hook a right, and two hours later, you're at the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, that's pretty... And Eight is Enough was filmed there, which to me is right there. I mean, that's that's the creme de la creme. I think Sacramento's underrated. And to Kevin's point, I'm sure it's cheaper to retire in Sacramento than San Francisco, so... It's kind of like Peru, Indiana, full circle. Ah, yes, uh-huh. I've heard a lot of people make that comparison. Yeah, yeah Peru, the Bay Area of, the, of Indiana, yep. The best part of Peru was growing up, you were an hour and a half to Fort Wayne, you were an hour and a half to Lafayette, you were two hours to Chicago, two hours to Indianapolis. I mean, Peru's the next hotbed of the I day. thought the best thing about growing up in Peru is that once you're grown up, you can leave, right? <laughs> I want to make sure I got all these analogies right. You said Fort Wayne is like the Lake Tahoe, Peru, <laughs> yeah, Sacramento, okay. and West Lafayette. So Pack up the kids. We're going to the Summit City for the weekend. Well, all the places that had really cool malls back in the day, at least. You had oh, plenty yeah. of shopping options. Yeah. We had any uh, Chris Duarte update. Felt like there was a chance for the Western trip, but nothing happened. 
Yeah, nothing really happened. Heading into the trip, I thought that, that Rick Carlisle said there was, there was a chance he'd play, and then maybe the first couple games when we were in Los Angeles, it didn't seem as positive. I've seen him go through a lot of, of workouts and playing one-on-one. Maybe we'll get more of an update here before the game today, but I've not heard anything in the last few days. Do, do you feel like we're about to get kind of our truest gauge on this team coming up in the next few weeks? It almost seems like they've been at two ends of the spectrum. Early on in the year, schedule benefited you. You were sneaking up on everybody, kind of a surprise. Then you go out west, it's almost the other end of the spectrum. Grueling schedule, huge jump uh, just in terms of you know travel, all of that. And now it's like you settle into kind of a normal schedule. You're not going to sneak up on anybody. I feel like in the next couple of weeks we're going to get a pretty true gauge on what this season's going to look like. I think that's actually very fair because I'll even put these two games tonight and tomorrow into the road trip because it's part of a 5-7 and seven and and the first game after a road trip is always difficult. So let me say, get through this weekend and then look at the next couple of weeks, maybe from Monday until Christmas, and see where things are. Because at that point, you're going to be you know, 35 or so games into the season. You're going to be almost to the halfway point. And as you mentioned, it, the schedule won't be as compact, and it won't be as either loaded with home games or loaded with road games. It'll be a little bit of a mix. But if you look at who the Pacers are playing over the next couple of weeks, home or road, it'll be a challenge. I mean, you've got some really good teams coming in. So I do think if we're talking two weeks from now, we'll have a better idea of whether this team is is a a playoff contender or whether, you know, there may be a focus on the future. But I know they're going to keep fighting, and so I think how we evaluate this team might continue to evolve over the course of the season. Do you think around that time, Jeremiah, so let's say like another 10 to 15 games, is when we'll start to see the rotation – kind of shorten down a little bit and be a little bit more firm on who, let's say, like the nine or ten guys are that are most frequently going to be logging the most minutes? Um, You know, maybe some of that still is based on injury, though. I mean, in the NBA, yeah. you rarely have everyone available. And so if you've got three guys out, then that determines who your rotation is. A guy like O'Shea Brissett to start the season, there have been some games he didn't play. There have been some games he played in the first half and not the second half. And so sometimes it's hot hand. I think Rick Carlisle probably has a little bit of a pecking order. This is my top 11, top 12. And maybe there's some room to adjust those a little bit. But I'm not sure that it really will change in two weeks. I think he pretty much knows, you know, if given a perfect situation, this is who I want on the court. And I'm I'm not sure that that'll change. By the way, um, is the is the town of Peru now? Is that first off? Do they say up there? Do they say Peru or, or Peru? W- which is it? Well, Slick Leonard always used to say Peru. He had some good friends in in Peru, but so I won't I won't question him. But most people from Peru just say Peru. The old timers occasionally will say Peru. W- was it named for the country, or was there like a John Peru that moved there at one point? I don't know of any John Peru. Um, just some, you know, historical John background. Purdue Club. Yeah, it sounds like an alias checking into a hotel. John Peru. <laughs> right. I'm just but saying. There, Mexico is also in Miami County, and so is Chi Life. So I'm guessing it has more to do with the the country than anything else. Is it well, Ruth actually, Riley from around there, JJ? Absolutely. Ruth Riley went to North Miami High School. There was a time I thought she was going to go to Peru, but uh, I actually went to school with her sister, McConaughey, in middle school. And at this point, I think people driving around are getting way too much Miami County historical information. Yeah, you're probably right. (laughs) To be fair. 
I'm looking here. I, I really do want to know the origin of, of Peru. We're going to talk NFL draft in about 10 minutes. JJ. Can we ask him? Will he know, do you think? JJ, as always, thank you. Glad the Western trip treated you well and uh, looking forward to the next couple nights at home. Jake, you must not listen. You asked me whether it's Peru or Peru, and you continue to say Peru, but I said the old timer, so you're putting yourself into that category by saying Peru constantly. I, listen, number one, I'm an old timer, and number two, if I had my choice between being associated with Slick Leonard or Jeremiah Johnson, I'm going Slick oh, every time oh, unless oh, it's the beer, man. right? Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair, isn't it? JJ, come on now, baby. Say Peru all you, all you want. That's right. Thanks, JJ. <laughs> okay.